What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. It's after midnight on Tuesday, August 2nd. And so that means this will be the final B-Shape Daily prior to the trade deadline. No Juan Soto yet. Not as of this recording. I'm staying up late, though, here on Monday night, heading into Tuesday morning. Cardinals did make a trade on Monday evening. They addressed the pitching situation, and that's been something that people were really hoping would happen. You knew there was a hole there. The Cardinals needed at least one starting pitcher coming into the end of this trading period. They had to find a way by 5 p.m. Central Time on August 2nd to fix the rotation or at least add something to it. And the Cardinals accomplished that on Monday night, acquiring Jose Quintana from the Pittsburgh Pirates. So we'll talk about that trade whether we liked it, whether we think it's enough, whether we think the Cardinals need to do more on the pitching end, and whether we're okay with the price that they paid to get Quintana as well as Chris Stratton, a right-handed pitcher that the Cardinals also picked up from the Pirates today. So we'll get into the details on that trade, and then we'll speculate, folks. We'll speculate on what could be coming next for the Cardinals. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to this on Tuesday morning, because if not... Well, it may be outdated by the time you listen to it. Things are happening quickly over the last few days. The last 12 hours have been pretty rock and roll. Since afternoon on Monday, things really started to heat up right around 4 o'clock or so when they began to fire up the big show on KTGR. That was a time where trades were coming in hot and heavy. I think it's going to be an interesting frenzy heading up to the 5 p.m. deadline on Tuesday as well. And whatever we don't cover on tonight's episode, we will make sure to cover Tuesday evening in a podcast that you'll be able to listen to Wednesday morning. That one will also include some details from the Tuesday night series opener against the Chicago Cubs at Bush Stadium. Cardinals finally returning back home after a lengthy road trip, and it'll be an interesting homestand with the Cubs and then the New York Yankees and Matt Carpenter coming into town over the weekend. Will Juan Soto be part of that Cardinals lineup well, maybe as early as Wednesday. I think it would be difficult to imagine a trade going down so quickly that he's in town for Tuesday night's game. But hey, you never know. Cardinals did say in their press release announcing the Quintana trade that more roster news would be announced on Tuesday. I don't think they meant Soto when they sent that out. I think that may be a reference to the return of Yadier Molina, which could be closer than ever based on one move the Cardinals made in conjunction with that trade from Monday night. We'll get into all that and more on today's B-Shape Daily, but first I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the B-Shape Daily podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That's the two best places to find it if you ask my opinion, but if you like other apps, head to anchor.fm slash bshafer12 and click on more platforms where you can select from, I think there's seven different places that we have B-Shape Daily populating to, so check them out and pick your favorite and never miss an episode of B-Shape Daily. And if you'd like to support the show, I want to give a big shout-out to Jordan, who did so over the weekend, which was sincerely appreciated. You can head on over to my Twitter account, at bshafer12, click on the little money, the dollar sign tab, next to the follow button, and there you'll be linked to Venmo or Cash App. And that is one way that you can support the show. No obligation, but appreciate if you decide to do so, as we really focus in the coming weeks on getting this show, this B-Shape Daily show for real, off the ground hitting the ground running with an episode every day just as often as we possibly can. But let's go ahead now and get into the story of the day, the Jose Quintana trade, as the Cardinals and Pirates have executed an intra-divisional trade within the NL Central. Not something you see all too often. It was 
a reason that we were pretty skeptical that the Cardinals could actually be in on oh, a starting pitcher like Luis Castillo or Tyler Malley from the Reds. It's why even with all the issues the Cardinals have had at catcher this season and before we really knew when Yadier Molina would return, Wilson Contreras was never a thought to be had because he's on the Cubs. And it just, you don't see those kinds of trades very often. But tonight we did as the Cardinals and Pirates were able to come together on a deal that should help the Cardinals in terms of their starting rotation depth moving into the stretch run of the season. Jose Quintana is now a St. Louis Cardinal. Johan Oviedo is not. Oviedo going to the Pittsburgh Pirates as part of the deal, along with corner infield prospect Malcolm Nunez, who has ranked the Cardinals' number 10 prospect according to MLB Pipeline. He also goes to the Pirates in the trade that sends Quintana to the Cardinals, along with right-handed reliever Chris Stratton. So certainly a legitimate baseball trade going on between the Pirates and Cardinals, a two-for-two, two players swapping sides for each team. Still probably not the biggest trade that involved an NL Central team today, and we can talk about that. Before the Cardinals got Quintana, I thought the whole show was maybe going to be revolving around the Brewers trading a major thorn in the Cardinals' sides over the years to the San Diego Padres. Josh Hader is no longer in Milwaukee Brewers. So we'll make sure to touch on that before we get out of here for B-Shafe Daily tonight. But let's start with the Cardinals' trade because that's the big one. That's the big one most relevant to St. Louis. Jose Quintana, in the Cardinals rotation, left-handed pitcher, 33 years old, has been around the block. You might remember him from his time with the Chicago Cubs before spending last season between the Los Angeles Angels and San Francisco Giants and then signing with the Pirates before 2022. Obviously, he began his career with the Chicago White Sox and pitched there for five and a half years before the trade that sent him to the Chicago Cubs, which Cubs fans probably regret this one, with Aloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease ending up going to the south side of Chicago in that deal. Probably didn't really pan out for the Cubs. He was pretty average, mediocre with the Cubs in the years that he was there. He's pitching pretty well this season, though, for Pittsburgh. Three and a half ERA, 103 innings pitched, over 20 starts. So that's just over five innings per start on average. So it's nothing blowing you out of the water in terms of getting deep into games consistently, but... Over five innings per outing, so that's something. The strikeout rate, not super high. 89 strikeouts in 103 innings over the course of his career. Hasn't quite been a strikeout per inning guy. But the ERA plus of 119 is very noticeable. The first time that he's been a plus in the ERA plus category, 100 being league average. So anything above would be considered plus. That's the first time since 2017 he's been able to claim that. And I think a big reason that you have maybe to be excited about what he might be able to bring to the table for the Cardinals, the fielding independent pitching is a number we talk about sometimes. It's You see it as FIP, F-I-P, and it basically measures a pitcher's ability to prevent home runs, walks, and hit by pitches while causing strikeouts. So it takes the defense out of the equation in measuring a lot of the other elements that are important to pitching. But if it's a home run, obviously defense wasn't going to be able to do anything about it. Strikeout, defense doesn't have anything to do with it. And keeping the ball in the zone, do you walk, guys? And tries to use that to pare down what kind of season you're really having, how you're performing relative to the factors that only you control, mainly. Well, his FIP is 3.24, which is lower than the ERA of 3.50. And he's been doing that with a Pittsburgh defense that is really more middle of the pack to bottom of the league 
in terms of defensive run saved. And the Cardinals have been steady within the top five in that category. So I, I think a pitcher with his ground ball rate, he's around 45% on ground balls, which is good because you've got Arenado, you've got Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung now back up with the Cardinals. I think defensively, he'll be a help. He hit another home run for the Cardinals over the weekend, two games in a row. So maybe he's somebody that ends up getting going a little bit. I re- remember now that we didn't have the episode last night because, as I mentioned, on the Saturday night and a Sunday morning episode of B-Shape Daily, I had some plans with my wife on Sunday evening and so was not going to be able to record. But the game on Sunday, pretty impressive outing by Andre Pallante. He almost got that complete game done and uh, pitched really well. Eight shutout innings for the Cardinals. They got that final win in Washington, D.C., but because we didn't get a chance to really talk about that game in depth, Paul DeYoung, keep an eye on what he's been able to do. Looking pretty good at the plate right now for the Cardinals, at least after just the first couple of games since he's been back. I imagine he'll get some run at shortstop in that Cardinals lineup again this week, and we'll see if he's able to continue the success he found in D.C. and really the success that he gained in the minor leagues with Memphis trying to remake his swing and get back to basics for Paul DeYoung. We'll see if he's able to continue that over the week in St. Louis as the Cardinals take on the Cubs and the Yankees. But his bat in the lineup means his glove in the field, and he's a steady defender as well. So I really feel like that puts the Cardinals in position to have their best infield defense, which is not a knock on Nolan Gorman, who is still a Cardinal, by the way, at least as of this recording. And I'll give you the reason that I think he might end up being a Cardinal through the trade deadline, which should not be viewed as a negative for Cardinals fans. I think that should be something people are excited about. I recognize that it's Juan Soto or bust sort of attitude right now. And people may think, well, if Gorman's here, does that mean Soto's not? Well, not necessarily. I can explain my, at least my speculation and my thought process on why that might not be totally accurate. But of course, by the time you listen to this, you may know otherwise. So I'll give you my best guess and we'll, we'll kind of see how it plays out over the coming hours for sure. But with an infield defense of Arenado, Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, that's about as good as you're going to get, I think, in the National League. And if you've got a ground ball pitcher who 45% not outrageously ground ball heavy, but it's solid enough, I think Quintana would benefit from having that defense behind him with the Cardinals, and your outfield defense is pretty good as well. Got two gold gloves in left field with Tyler O'Neill. For right now, it's still Dylan Carlson in center field. Again, we'll see what that looks like as of 5 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday. August 2nd, when the, te- the trade deadline, pardon me, does roll around. And Lars Dupar, solid outfield. He's been playing some right field. You get some Corey Dickerson action in there. They've got a pretty good defense. I think that this can be something that Jose Quintana benefits from and can get the Cardinals what they're looking for. Part of what they reportedly were looking for, though, is a strikeout guy. And Quintana has really not been that kind of strikeout pitcher since around that 2017 season. That was really the only year, if you look back at his numbers, where he has had more strikeouts than innings pitched. 188 innings for 207 strikeouts in that season. And he did ramp it back up a little bit last year, but it was a partial season for him, only through 63 innings, and did end up having 85 strikeouts. So those numbers kind of jumped off the page, but he was not pitching very well. The ERA for the season for him was 6.43. So whatever was going on with Jose Quintana, he had more strikeouts after several years in a row of really not having that, but he wasn't as effective. Not a lot of home runs, just gave up a lot of runs, a lot of hits, a lot of runs, a lot of walks as well was uncharacteristic a little bit for him this year. He's given up 31 walks in 103 innings, whereas last year it was 35 walks in just 63 innings. So he was all over the map last year. I wouldn't say that the strikeout rate was the most important thing from his numbers a season ago, considering he just wasn't very effective. 
He's really gotten back to basics with the Pirates this year. It's a hard environment probably to pitch in because you know you're not winning very many games. He's got a 3-5 and five record and 20 starts. So it's just a case where that, that Pirates bullpen probably gives up some leads behind you. That Pirates offense probably doesn't score many runs to support you in your starts. And you end up with a paltry 3-5 and five record when everything else about your performance suggests you've been pretty solid. Like I said, 31 walks in 103 innings, that's, that's numbers you'll take if you're the Cardinals for sure. Less than three per nine, and, and that'll do. That'll do within the St. Louis rotation at the number four or five spot, right? Like, that's what, in theory, we're looking at here. I may have told you Andre Pallante was possibly on his way out of the rotation prior to his performance on Sunday. Cardinals conceivably could have, and I guess they still could, go out and get multiple starters at the deadline. They've got Quintana. As the day went along, it became increasingly clear to me that the Cardinals should be, and really this has been true over the last several days, that the Cardinals should be, yes, they need to address their pitching, but they need to do so with a rental. I I was looking for them to go add a rental-type pitcher, guy that wasn't going to cost them too terribly much so that it would still leave resources to go overwhelm the Nationals for Juan Soto. And we'll update you on our thoughts on that for the last time, obviously, because the next time we speak following the Cardinals-Cubs game on Tuesday, the trade deadline will have passed, and then we'll know the answer to the question that has been sort of swirling around the Cardinals for several days and, and even almost weeks now. Will Juan Soto be a St. Louis Cardinal? We're going to find out. We're going to know soon enough, but we'll still kind of update you for one final time on where we handicapped the situation and what the final results could end up being. But I felt that if the Cardinals wanted to stay in on Soto, these other pitchers, the, the asking prices, were they just seemed to be so high following the Castillo deal to Seattle that I thought if the Cardinals end up getting a guy like Frankie Montas, I think it could knock them out of the Soto race just because they won't feel they have the resources to finish it off while still keeping something back within the farm system. You don't want to knock the entire farm system out. You want to deplete the whole thing. You, you certainly are going to take a chunk out of it if it's going to be Juan Soto. But you'd like to, in theory, see them get the pitching thing resolved so that they can focus their attention on Soto. I don't know if that's entirely what we saw happen on Monday, but it stands to reason that those pieces do sort of go together. You're able to fix or at least address the pitching situation with Quintana without giving up any of the names that would have been conceivably involved in the discussions for Soto. You do give up Johan Oviedo and... Maybe you take a bit of a hit to your bullpen after that because Oviedo had begun to settle into a role there. Then again, he went through all that trouble to get to Toronto, getting his visa, all that stuff situated with the the passport and stuff like that. Didn't even pitch him in the series, which was kind of disappointing. But he's a guy that I think was sort of destined to remain in a relief role if he stayed with St. Louis. I don't think they were going to give him another shot in the rotation. They tried it several times. You remember going back to 2020, I don't know if it was entirely fair to Oviedo, but he was thrust into a rotation spot or at least to pick up some starts for them back in the COVID year just out of pure necessity. They had to, and he was a raw arm that had some life to it, and they said, let's just try it. We've got nobody else when we're dealing with this COVID situation. And the fact that he made it through those five starts at 22 years old with a 5.47 ERA in 2020 is actually kind of remarkable looking back on it. Because in 2019, he had pitched at high A and double A and carried a combined 4.72 ERA that season. So he was 21 years old, barely scratched the surface of double A. And the next year, there's no minor league season. And oh, by the way, middle of the year, you're going to be asked to go pitch in St. Louis. 
skip two levels. You weren't even that successful in double A. So that was difficult. And I think we had seen some growth from Johan Oviedo since then. He had some moments in 2021, given an opportunity, started 13 games, never did get a win in those first two seasons. But I, I thought we saw a little bit of growth from him but maybe he had sort of capped out with what we saw from him in one start earlier this season and the numbers in the minors never were really strong. I think it's something to do with the juice ball in the minors, though, because everywhere you look, AAA pitching looks bad this year, even the good ones. 5.58 ERA in the minors before he got called back up to be part of the bullpen, and there it seemed to kind of click for Oviedo, and I think that's what the Pirates are banking on, that they can find something with him. I can remember, though, one time or another that a live electric arm, Sandy Alcantara, was not really sticking with the Cardinals. He was in that in-between mode. Is he going to be a starter? Is he going to be a reliever? Not getting many opportunities at the big league level. Well, let's trade him. We need a bat. Let's get Ozuna. And Sandy Alcantara is now the best pitcher in the National League. So not saying that's going to be the case for Oviedo, but I do think this could benefit his career. Just a chance to go and show what he can do, have a long leash. I would like to think that the Pirates will give him a chance to start in that rotation in Pittsburgh, maybe he'll be able to figure something out and get something done. He's only 24 years old, so it's not that he's over the hill and, and has maxed out on his development. I still think that this guy at only 24 years old can certainly turn into still a pretty solid starting pitcher in the majors. He was never going to get the chance, though, to do that with the Cardinals, and so it's an upside play for the Pirates. It's a situation where they weren't going to uh, have any reason to retain Jose Quintana, because he's a free agent to be, he only signed the one-year contract with Pittsburgh before the season, and they're not contending. So it made sense for them to get with a can for him. And they also pick up Malcolm Nunez, who is a guy that could end up being a nice slugger at the big league level, only 21 years old. But you look at it within the context of the Cardinals, Malcolm Nunez, who was playing at AA Springfield, had started his career as a third baseman, moved over to the other side of the diamond for the most part defensively this year to first base. You've got Arenado ahead of him. You've got Nolan Gorman, who's also had to change positions because of Arenado. And you've also got Jordan Walker, who is a third-base prospect who's going to lap the field in terms of the other guys that are down there in the minors. And actually, Walker's arrival this year to A is sort of what shifted Nunez to the other side of the, the diamond. They had to put him somewhere, keep his bat in the lineup, keep that development going. But they, for Nunez, it was he wasn't going to stick at third. They've, they've been putting him at first base. The reality is, though, this is a guy that could end up being a pretty good hitter at the big league level. 350 plate appearances this season. He's knocked 17 home runs with 66 RBIs in double A. 255 batting average, 463 slug. Nice on base as well. It suggests some decent plate discipline with 48 walks to get him to a 360 on base. That's an 823 OPS. Solid hitter at double A. He's 21 years old, so still younger than the average double A age by 3.3 years, according to baseball reference. This is a guy you'll probably see in the big leagues, and he could end up being someone that haunts the Cardinals down the road. But I think it's just a deal that probably needed to be made when you looked around the league at the other pitchers that have moved. Uh, Frankie Montas does end up going to the Yankees. They give their number five, their number 10 prospect, and a couple of other guys that were within their top 30. I don't know exactly how those guys compare to what the St. Louis Cardinals could have offered, but some Graceffo, some Tink Hentz maybe, some of those kinds of guys. Again, not an exact comparison to be made. I don't think it's effective to do so. I know J.P. Sears is one of the guys. He's like 26 years old, but he's still pitching in the minors, then comes up this year to pitch a little bit in New York. It's kind of tricky to figure what exact comparison you'd have for the Cardinals to that situation. 
I think ultimately, though, the reaction to seeing Montas go to the Yankees was relief for many Cardinals fans because you knew that it was a situation where Nolan Gorman was maybe being discussed and it was going to be an exorbitant cost potentially given what Luis Castillo had gone for. He had he had sort of set the market with his trade, not that he was the one setting it, but the Reds and the Mariners sort of set the market and said, this is what it costs to get a guy with at least another year of control who can be a frontline starter in your rotation. I think a lot of Cardinals fans were turned off a little bit by the shoulder situation with Montas, which again, he's healthy right now, but had a shoulder issue in his pitching arm, not but a couple of weeks ago. It was about three weeks ago that he missed a start or two because of that. So that's playing with fire a little bit, especially when you're talking about giving top-tier prospects for the guy. And yes, it would have helped the Cardinals to know that they had someone under wraps for 2023 as well, like Montas would have been. But I think at the end of the day, you like the idea of retaining all of your top prospects, really. Malcolm Nunez, as I mentioned, was number 10 within the system, according to MLB Pipeline. He was blocked in several different ways. That doesn't mean he couldn't have made it, by the way. I was having a conversation on Monday night with somebody on Twitter who was talking about, well, Jordan Walker, I'm okay with him going because he's blocked. And I, I said, look, blocked is not the way you should be looking at Jordan Walker. Don't worry about where he's going to play defensively. The phrase, the bat plays, is going to apply to Jordan Walker someday in the not-too-distant future. He's tearing up double-A. He hit four home runs over the weekend with Springfield, two in one game, and then a couple days later, he hit two more. Friday and Sunday, I believe, is when he accomplished that. It was on base seven times over the weekend across those three games. OPS near 900 for Jordan Walker with double-A this season. He's 20 years old. Like He's going to be really fantastic somewhere, whether it's in St. Louis or anywhere else, depending on the outcome of the Soto deal. But there are times when you look at a guy and you say it doesn't really matter what he brings defensively. He's going to bring so much offensively that he's going to be worth it. I'm not worried about the position that he's going to play. There's no such thing as being able to block those kinds of guys. And so I want to at least take a word of caution to say it's not that Nunez was irrevocably blocked and he never could have made it to St. Louis. I think it's reasonable to suggest that he wouldn't have been given a fair shake even if his play had determined that he was owed one just because, yeah, there were guys ahead of him maybe in the pecking order that are viewed as quicker risers, more upside when you get to the big leagues, those kinds of things. So I think it makes sense to move him, uh, but it's not to say that they won't regret it at some point because if he turns out to be a slugger at the big league level, then you can look back on that and say, yeah, that was a miss. The Cardinals had identified that they had all these other guys and so they didn't have room for him, and maybe that causes them to undervalue Malcolm Nunez. But the reality is, I think offensively in those corner infield spots, when you've got two guys in their 30s in Arenado and Goldsmith that are not showing any signs of slowing down, and then you've already moved Gorman, and and that transition seems to be going successfully for him taking to second base and hitting dingers at the big league level, that's going well. Jordan Walker, you'll find a corner outfield spot, or you'll find a DH, or you'll find it. It doesn't really matter. They'll find a spot for him if he's still in the organization 18 months from now and, and needing a place to go. I guess 18 months wasn't a good example. That would be mid-January. That's not really what we need, or even February by then. I think by late 2023, you could conceivably see Walker up if he finishes this season as as strongly as he has begun it. You remember before Dylan Carlson got called up and he began in that COVID season of 2020, Carlson in 2019 got the call to Memphis to AAA at the end of the season. Like He played one month there and he tore the cover off the ball. It hit better than he ever did, and you said, okay, next year's going to be the year that we'll see Dylan Carlson in St. Louis. 
it's possible you see a promotion to Memphis even later in the season, within the next month or so, for Jordan Walker if he's still with the organization. And that gives you maybe a chance to see what that looks like, see how he responds to it. And if he responds well, I'm not saying 2023 opening day roster is likely, but it, if they allow him to go down that trajectory, it wouldn't be impossible that he could be with the team as early as next year. I say more likely he gets more run at Memphis, regardless of what happens the rest of the season. They're going to allow him to spend some time in Memphis in 2023 if he progresses as he's continued to do so far. And then by the midsummer time, uh, 12 months or so from now, I said 18, I was just talking out of the side of my mouth. I think 12 months from now, you could see Jordan Walker in the big leagues with St. Louis if he doesn't end up going to Washington in this Soto deal. But my point in all of this is to say, don't worry about blocking anybody for certain bats. It just doesn't matter. Jordan Walker, it just doesn't matter. It won't. I don't know that Malcolm Nunez is is that kind of guy. His numbers haven't shown to be quite as prolific as what Jordan Walker is already doing at AA, and Nunez is a little bit older. But that being said, I think it's an interesting piece for the Pirates. You lose a top 10 prospect, but it's your number 10 prospect, and you keep all the other guys ready to go to be deployed, maybe for Soto, maybe for other moves, maybe for remaining a pretty sound and healthy farm system, which is important as well to continue to develop these players. Cardinals are in a good spot. You know, like I said, it hurts to lose Oviedo, but I think fair or unfair, his ceiling was capped here. And you do pick up Chris Stratton, the relief pitcher from the Pirates, which ends up, he he goes into the spot in the bullpen that Oviedo was occupying, essentially. He's a guy that has a pretty good pedigree in terms of had some solid years there for a while, from 2019 when he was traded from the Angels to the Pirates, and for the last three years has had an ERA in the mid-threes, 3.6, 3.9, 3.6, and last year, 79 innings pitched with a 3.6 ERA, so... Pretty good numbers from him, more than a strikeout per inning last year, a little bit below so far this season, and he's got a 5.09 ERA, so not quite as good on the performance side this year. However, we talked about FIP. I think it applies in this case that he's pitched into more or less some bad luck. 3.61 is his fielding independent pitching. ERA is 5.09, so you go to a better defense. You're already having some bad luck relative to FIP. I think that Chris Stratton could end up being pretty solid. He could also become, and I don't mean this derogatory toward Nick Whitgren, but I, I call him new Nick Whitgren, just looking at the fact that he has already pitched in 40 games this season for the Pirates. He started one and was a reliever in the other 39. I think he might have been an opener in the one and has a couple of saves, but he's a guy that has pitched a ton already this season, but some guys are able to withstand that kind of workload, and if he can turn out to be solid the way he was from 2019 to 2021, that would be really nice because of the fact that you know that Ryan Helsley is the Cardinals' chief reliever, and he's not a guy you can use every day. So it would be good to have guys who are a little bit more uh, versatile in the frequency with which they can pitch. You, you've, you've seen the Cardinals be very careful with Helsley. We've talked round and round that issue. That's why maybe at the deadline you want to get more arms to be able to, well, arm yourself with those guys and, and have other options for those late innings. I don't know if Stratton's going to turn into that again. His ERA is over five this year, so we don't want to get too carried away. But when the original trade that was being reported and the names were being thrown around was Oviedo and Malcolm Nunez for Quintana, I thought, okay, that's solid. I mean, they, they get the guy that they're they're needing for that rotation. You throw in Stratton, it was like, in terms of perception, it was like, oh, it's a bonus player. 
and and now you don't have to worry about who fills Oviedo's spot in terms of the bullpen. Cardinals did have to make one other roster move, by the way, with the Quintana deal, which we're going to get to see what the Quintana deal looks like. He pitched last on Friday, so he can be thrown into the rotation wherever the Cardinals please, and I think it'll be really interesting to see him. He's As I was mentioning earlier, I get sidetracked very easily, but what I had started to say at one point is this acquisition was to find that number four or number five starter. And I mentioned about Palante thinking maybe they could move him back to the bullpen. That was before his great outing on Sunday. So maybe he's in the rotation for now unless they get a cinder guard that falls into their lap on Tuesday and they just can't say no to the price and it just works out too well. That being said, Quintana does not need to be your number one, your number two. Just put him in the middle of that rotation, give you good five or six innings of two or three earned runs and give you a chance to win games. I think that's really the bottom line that the Cardinals need because if Hudson, Dakota Hudson, can get back and can put himself into that position as well, then I think you'd have comfortably four guys that can at a minimum do that. And then Palante would still probably be classified as your number five, but he can always turn it up like he did on Sunday and do something special for you. So that puts your starting rotation into a little bit of a better situation, certainly than it was coming into this past weekend when you didn't have even a fifth starter on the roster and you didn't have any prospects. I don't mean pitching prospects. I mean, there are no prospects for who would fill that number five spot. It had to come from the exterior because nobody in the organization in the opportunities that they had had have really shown themselves ready for the role. So Quintana, I think, had to happen. We'll find out very soon how well he is able to perform for the Cardinals. I think ultimately it's it's more of a notable deal than when they got John Lester and got Jay Happ at the deadline last season. You give up a little bit more. Oviedo's got a little more upside, I think, than you figured Lane Thomas had at the time in that deal for Lester. And John Gant went for Jay Happ, and he's pitching overseas now. So that was perfectly acceptable. It's just like uh, the next layer of that. Last year's deals were the poor man's version of what they did today. And I think this could work for the Cardinals. And like I said, we'll get to see Jose Quintana pretty soon. Nothing official yet on one hill pitch, but sometime this week, you'll definitely see it happen. Would be fun to see him go against the Cubs. I wouldn't mind that one bit to see him pitch against his former team and have a little bit of extra intrigue to that matchup as if it needed any. But I did want to mention one of the roster moves associated with the trade. Cardinals announced that they have designated for assignment catcher Austin Romine. No surprise. He's probably going to go down as one of the least discussed Cardinals on the B-Shape Daily podcast during his tenure here because every time I brought his name up, I just didn't want to spend much time on it because I knew he wouldn't be on the team for long. I think it was a mistake of his to not be vaccinated to ensure he could go on that Toronto trip, try to make an impression. Reality is it probably never would have mattered. His days were numbered for so long as Yadier Molina was returning. Austin Romine didn't have a a role necessarily. It's very possible that he ends up clearing waivers because he didn't really do much at all with the Cardinals. And he goes back to Memphis to, I guess, be the backup to Yvonne Herrera for as long as Herrera is down there, which if Yadi and Andrew Kisner are healthy at the major league level, then Herrera probably will remain down there and getting his reps as he needs to do as one of the team's top prospects. But nothing Austin Romine probably could have done, didn't like I said, didn't really help his case out, what not being able to travel to Toronto. But that being said, he wasn't really long for this major league roster anyway. Cardinals mentioned at the end of their press release talking about the Quintana deal that more news, more roster moves would be announced on Tuesday. That very likely is going to be Yadier Molina. They're buying themselves a little bit of extra time with what the corresponding move to Yadi is going to be just because trades are going to happen potentially and there's no reason to make a decision tonight that you didn't have to make. They already knew 
the Romine situation, though, was was going to come to a head. Had no other choice but to do so, and they cleared the 40-man the, the spot as well, being able to make that happen. Let's go ahead, though, now that we've exhausted the Quintana trade. Like I said, we'll see him, and then we'll be able to talk more about it. I, I like it for the Cardinals, and I think he's a solid number three, number four type pitcher as long as he replicates what he'd been doing with Pittsburgh. But I want to talk really quickly uh, before we get into some Juan Soto thoughts before we wrap up the show. I wanted to get into the Josh Hader trade, which I think is very interesting. Some people probably saw that and thought, why are the Milwaukee Brewers selling? Uh, they're in first place. That doesn't make any sense. I don't know that they're selling. And I also don't know that it, if you check the box scores recently for Josh Hader, I don't know that he's automatically still this elite reliever, the, the kind that he had been for the last several years, especially against the Cardinals, who never could seem to get a hit against the guy. But Hader ends up going to the San Diego Padres for an interesting package that includes Taylor Rogers, who had been sort of the Padres closer that hadn't had a great season, ERA in the low fours. Denelson Lamette, who is a former starter, they've tried to convert him to relief. It's, it's not really worked out. He's had some injuries, but maybe Milwaukee gets a hold of him and finds a way to, to make it happen for him. And another big piece that goes along in the deal is Asteri Ruiz, who I consider to be a big piece because I've been paying attention to this guy for fantasy baseball reasons. And he was a former Kansas City Royals prospect who was traded to the Padres a few years back and had been lighting it up in the minor leagues this season between AA and AAA. Just some ridiculous video game type numbers. 60 stolen bases in 77 games. That jumps off the page. But he also has had a little bit of pop, 13 home runs and an OPS of 1,028 combined between AA and AAA. And he, he didn't lose a whole lot going to AAA, a, a 935 OPS there. So still pretty solid. The Potters had called him up recently, hadn't done a whole lot in just 27 at-bats, but definitely an interesting player and I think pretty good defensively. So the Brewers maybe end up getting a piece right there. And I think bottom line for them as they also pick up a left-handed pitcher that's been in high A, Robert Gasser, who was their second-round pick in 2021, strikes out well more than one batter per inning. With a name like Gasser, I assume he throws absolute smoke, I'd have to think. But they get four pieces back for Hayter. One of them is a direct replacement in Taylor Rogers. The other one is Lamette that can help their bullpen out. And you get an outfield prospect who has been tearing it up in the minor leagues this season, plus Gasser, who was a second-round pick last year and is, is getting off to a solid start in high A. So you get four players for one, and you have direct comps to, like, replacing the production that Hader has had the last several years is virtually impossible, but maybe Taylor Rogers comes in and does a nice job for them. They have Devin Williams that can step right in as the closer, who had been having a better year than Josh Hader as it is. And interesting to hear what David Stearns, the president of baseball operations for Milwaukee, had to say on the situation is that we've never made an outgoing call on Josh Hader, but teams for the last several years have been calling us, uh, but we've never actually called other teams to say, hey, we're floating Hader out there. What do you got? He said that was true this deadline as well. They didn't call anybody about Hader, but they got calls and they decided to go ahead and act on it. He said, in this case, we had a couple very aggressive teams that pursued Josh and ultimately San Diego was the one in the best interest of our organization. So they sent him there. Now, would they have done this if over the past six games, Josh Hader didn't have an ERA of 20.77? I don't know if they would have been able to pull the trigger. Maybe that's a little bit of recency bias where the, the Padres are feeling like, hey, this is a guy that hasn't been available at all in the past. He's still got a year of control left for 2023. He has a bad week and a half, and this team decides to 
they're going to suddenly listen to offers on him? Absolutely, we're doing it. We're finding a way. And my concern for Cardinals fans, like, first of all, if you end up playing Milwaukee in the first round in that wild card round, which seems very plausible because the NL Central winner is going to have to play in the first round, whereas the winner of the East and the West, with their records right now being so far ahead of what Milwaukee or St. Louis is going to be able to touch, they'll get the first round by. And again, reminder that it's a new format in the playoffs this season because they have expanded it once again. 12 teams make it, three division winners, and three wild cards from each league. The first two division winners in terms of record will get a bye, kind of like the NFL used to be before they went to 14 teams within the last year or two. And then the number three seed will be the winner of the third division. And that looks like it's going to be the Brewers or Cardinals right now. But let's just say the Brewers, since that's what it stands at as of this moment. Brewers will be the three seed playing the number six seed. Well, you have two other wildcard teams looks to be shaping up to be the Braves or whichever team doesn't win the East, which right now is the Atlanta Braves. They're trailing the Mets by three and a half games. Cardinals are three back in the Central and then you've got the Padres, who are 12 back in the West, but they actually have a better record than the NL Central leading Milwaukee Brewers. So, actually, I should say they're tied in terms of percentage points right now, but they have more wins than the Padres do. So, with how things stand right now, you'd have the Braves as the number four seed, the Padres as the five, and the third wild card winner, which currently happens to be, well, the Phillies and the Cardinals are neck and neck, but the Phillies are ahead. But the Cardinals are about a game behind the Phillies for that third wild card spot. And if the Cardinals end up sneaking into that spot, they'd be the number six seed. They would play the Milwaukee Brewers. So the upside is you wouldn't have to face Josh Hader in any games of a three-game series, which would all be played in Milwaukee, is the way that wild card series would work. Best two out of three, and no Hader for that. And you're very unlikely, based on the way the standings are stacked up right now, if you're the wild card team out of the central or I should just say one of the three wildcard teams, you're probably going to be that third seed based on the way the records are, which makes you number six overall in the NL. You probably won't be facing the Padres, which means no Josh Hader in at least the first round of the playoffs if you get there. So that's the upshot for the Cardinals. The downside is I think it may have emboldened A.J. Preller and the San Diego Padres to throw themselves all in on Juan Soto. They didn't have to trade any of their top prospects that Washington probably covets for Soto. And so that made me a little bit uncomfortable on Monday afternoon to see that trade. At first, I thought, wow, the Brewers, wow, they're trading Josh Hader. Well, I think that they struck while the iron was hot. Maybe you find a little bit of worry with the way that he's pitched over the last couple of weeks that is he cooked? Yeah, probably not. But at the same time, if you're still getting this kind of offer for him where you feel like you like Ruiz, he could be a future starter in center field for you. You're picking up Taylor Rogers, who can slide into that role instead of Hayter, or maybe it's Devin Williams with Taylor Rogers as a setup man, like you're comfortable with that. You get Lamette as a little bit of a flyer. I think he's 30 years old now, so it's not like he's a young guy. But then that Gasser pickup is a really nice one. That's a guy that's starting in the minors and, and could end up with the next three or four years be in your rotation, all for a closer who has a 20 ERA over the past two weeks. So I think that's where the Brewers ended up. It's not like they were making calls to try and get rid of him, but I think an offer fell into their lap that they just decided – hey, we're going to make this move. And it's interesting because people could say, well, that's terrible. You should never send that signal to your fan base, to your team that you are trying to basically, quote-unquote, sell a player that is helping you or supposed to be helping you in the middle of a pennant run where you're in the lead in the L Central. I get that side of it, but I actually think the Brewers did a smart thing here because there's no guarantee that Hader is going to maintain any of the value that he's had unless you think you're definitely a World Series contender right now. And I, I get that Hader probably gives you an advantage that you otherwise wouldn't have in the playoffs. But he hasn't been pitching that way recently. 
You picked up multiple young pieces that can help you now and into the future. And there's also the factor of seeing teams like the Dodgers and the Braves and the Mets that are just better than you right now as it is. So if you're the Brewers, maybe you get in there and you shake things up and you find a way to get to the World Series. I don't think they have the offense to do that. Like the Milwaukee's got a really good rotation. They got a good bullpen, even without Hader now. But I don't think their offense is enough to get them to the World Series this year. And that's something something a fan base wants to hear. But if people had said that to the Cardinals fan base last year, it might have done them some good because the Cardinals, or at least the front office, I don't know what it matters that people say to the fan base because we just see people argue amongst themselves and that'll be the end of it. But if somebody had told the Cardinals front office, hey, you got this Alex Reyes guy who's an all-star, this may be the moment to deal him. His value will literally never be higher. People would have probably scoffed at that, but they would have been 100% right in retrospect. Alex Ray's trade value is nil. He's got none. He may never pitch again in the big leagues at this point. The Cardinals had done something a year ago. They might have a couple of really good prospects the way that the Brewers just picked up for Josh Hader. So I think that's just worth pointing out, the differences in the way that people really say they want their franchises to operate. Like, go all in, win it all. But I like that the Brewers, David Stearns, he does a really good job. I think he finds a way to play both sides a little bit and do it to his benefit in every case. It's not like he's selling willy-nilly and then buying willy-nilly. He's looking at a situation saying, this value, the proposition on this value is too good to pass up. And I think that's the mark of a good president of baseball operations. John Mozilla, though, made a trade today that I think he needed to make as well in picking up some starting help in Jose Quintana. But what about Juan Soto? That's what y'all are here for anyway, right? That's what you want to know about. Well, let's talk about it. A lot of information flying around on Monday flying around over the weekend, it really does seem to be at this point that the Soto sweepstakes are down to three teams. It's the Cardinals. It's the Padres, who, as I mentioned, maybe Preller is feeling emboldened after picking up an all-star closer without having to really give up anybody from his future, anybody from his top, top prospects list. And then there's the Dodgers, because there are always the Dodgers, right? They're never out of it. But I honestly think with what we've seen go down on Monday, the Cardinals are the team far and away the best positioned to be able to do this. I really do believe that's the case. This is speculation, but the way I see this going down right now, reason that Juan Soto hasn't been traded yet is because obviously the Nationals want to get the most they possibly can for him. But the team that has the capacity to offer the most that they possibly can for him is the St. Louis Cardinals. They can offer more than the Dodgers. They can offer more than the Padres, even with the Padres making a good trade for Hader and retaining all of the ammunition that they would conceivably need to go after Juan Soto. I still think the Cardinals have better names. I think they've just got better pieces and they've kept them all back and they've got an opportunity now to deploy them all. The question is going to be, will they? What will be the puke point? I know that's not a phrase that Cardinals fans like to hear, but I do think it's the operative question at this stage in the game. Because there have been times in the past where the Cardinals have considered deals, considered moves, considered contracts, considered different things. And we've heard the phrase from John Mosellock, well, what's your puke point? The point where you hurl over the notion of giving up what it would would be to acquire whatever the, the name is that you're going after. Well, in the case of Juan Soto, the puke point should be pretty darn high because he's Juan Soto. And there are people, there are Cardinals fans out there even, who say, I don't know about all this Juan Soto stuff. Like, I put together the most impactful trade pull that I've ever done that included some really big names going from the Cardinals' side. I did that today, 
and the voting split is about 50-50. They're slightly voting it down after more than 3,000 votes as of this recording. And I did a poll on Sunday, I believe it was, that got over 8,000 votes. People were upset. They said, no, that's an obvious deal the Cardinals should do. I think it was like 70% voted yes on that one. But I was like, okay, if things are too obvious, and then John Morosi tweets this, which told me that maybe things are too obvious. We don't want to make Cardinals fans too comfortable. Let's make them, let's make them sweat, because John Morosi said this. In Juan Soto trade talks, the Cardinals have not been willing to include Dylan Carlson and their top prospects in the same offer at least thus far. Negotiations are reaching a critical point. So what that says to me is they've been willing to talk Dylan Carlson. They've been willing to talk a combo of Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn. They haven't been willing to combine those two elements, which I think is what the Washington Nationals have been waiting for, and it's the reason that Juan Soto has not been traded as of this recording at the moment in time I'm speaking, 2.11 a.m. on Tuesday morning. I think that's the holdup right now. And the Washington Nationals, from their perspective, why wouldn't you hold it up? You don't have any reason to trade him before the clock strikes 5 o'clock, 6 Eastern, on Tuesday afternoon and evening. There's no reason to do it. You might as well wait till the very end for all the offers to pour in, for teams to sweat, for teams to get desperate, teams like the Cardinals that, at this point, they don't want to trade Dylan Carlson and Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn, but maybe you make them. Or they don't want to trade Nolan Gorman and Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker and Yeah, throw in Carlson, too. Like, this could be a case where the Nationals just are seeing how far the Cardinals are willing to go. And maybe they've already made up their mind. Like, yeah, this guy is moving. We're trading him. And unless the Dodgers offer this extra guy that we really don't think they're going to send, or maybe the Padres, maybe they'll go that extra layer to where they'll offer such and such. Because we don't know what the offers from the respective teams are as of now or the names that have been discussed. It's always a fluid situation. It's not like, we have submitted our formal offer, and then you either accept or decline. No, it's constant conversations between GM and GM, president of baseball operations, and president of baseball operations. You're constantly discussing these trades and these names and throwing names out and throwing ideas out, and then you get to a point where you know, all right, are we doing this or are we not doing this? And the dance ends, the music stops, and you got to figure out what's going to happen. That time is coming. For the Cardinals, for the Padres, for the Dodgers, and for the Washington Nationals who have got to make a decision on Juan Soto unless they want to delay this thing into the offseason. I'm increasingly getting a sense that they do not want to do that. I just don't think that there's any reason they would have accepted an offer yet because there's always time. While there's time, there is time. And until there's not time, you might as well allow the teams to sweat over it, to sleep over it, to think on it real hard and think, well, I don't want to trade Dylan Carlson and Mason Wynn and Jordan Walker, but it's it's Juan Soto, so we're going to do it. Maybe John Moselak wakes up on Tuesday morning, and that's what he says. If he does, Juan Soto's going to be a Cardinal. I really do believe that is the case. I think the Cardinals have the pieces that the Washington Nationals most covet. I genuinely don't believe the Dodgers or the Padres have the talent that compares to a cost-controlled, major league-proven Dylan Carlson, who's under team control through 2026, plus... Jordan Walker, who's a top 10 prospect in the sport and should be top five, maybe number one by February or so, depending on how the rest of this season goes. Plus a shortstop prospect like Mason Wynn and then maybe Nolan Gorman if his name is involved. And the read I get from Morosi's tweet where he says Dylan Carlson and their prospects in the same offer, they haven't been willing to do that. I feel like that may imply that Gorman is not actually the major league player that's in these conversations, at least at at this point. If it's Carlson and top prospects that the Nationals want, 
If Morosi is leaking that out, it's probably because he's been told that, yeah, this is what the Nationals are waiting on. They're going to see if the Cardinals are going to be willing to do both. Now, does that mean the Cardinals have said, you can have Carlson and some lesser prospects, no win, no Gorman, who's not a prospect, but let's just go with it, no Jordan Walker, and we'll give you some some guys four through ten on our prospect list internally. We'll give you multiple guys from that group. You want pitching? We've got pitchers on that group. Or maybe it's a case where Washington says, you don't really have the pitching that we want, so you're going to have to overpay in position players. If that's the case, maybe that does give the Padres or the, the Dodgers an advantage because the Dodgers have Bobby Miller, who I'm not all that impressed with, honestly, in terms of what he's done in the minors, but he's a top prospect as a pitcher. And realistically, the Dodgers, or pardon me, the Padres have Mackenzie Gore. And Mackenzie Gore is kind of injured right now, but I don't know that they would end up allowing that to make the trade not happen if Mackenzie Gore is a, a top prospect and has just some electric stuff. And they decide, yeah, he's a little banged up right now, but we trust it. We'll go with it. Maybe they trade him. I don't know. That would be a case where the Cardinals can't match it because they can't match a Mackenzie Gore or maybe even a Bobby Miller. They've got Gordon Graceffo. They've got some, I mean, he's a top 100 guy, according to the update by Baseball America on the prospects list. But I don't know the Cardinals do have the pitching. They have everything else, though. I don't know that anybody else has a Jordan Walker to offer. Robert Hassel, he's a big prospect, outfield prospect for the Padres. He's younger. We've talked about him on B-Shape Daily. He's top 20-ish. C.J. Abrams was really high up, but he hasn't hit well. I think he's lost at least some of his shine, a little bit of his luster in terms of trade value right now, just not being able to hit big league pitching this season. Has had the opportunity to do so. Nobody has Jordan Walker. Nolan Gorman is another really good piece. Not many other teams have somebody on that caliber who can help the Nationals now. Like, it's great to be able to have guys at the big league level who can plug right into your lineup and and be viable. I know it's all about tanking, but they don't need to be completely abject disaster. They can have a guy like Gorman plug right in. They want major league-ready players. I don't know if guys like Yepes or Donovan have even been discussed, but Cardinals have those guys that you could plug right in. And then in terms of the prospects, like I said, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, He's a shortstop. Other guys can replicate that. Maybe teams want to turn him into a pitcher. That could make him interesting. Cardinals drafted him as both a shortstop and a pitcher out of high school. I think the Nationals might just be waiting to see what the Cardinals are willing to do. And really all teams. I'm not saying the Cardinals are the only front runner. The Dodgers or Padres could easily add somebody at the 11th hour, and that could be what puts it over the deal. I think the Cardinals are best positioned, though, with the pieces that they have to do it. Now, is your puke point... Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, and Mason Wynn. Cardinals fans, uh, the ones I asked tonight anyway, that voted at B. Schaefer 12 on Twitter were pretty split on it. And it's even gone down from when I last looked at it. I'm glad I checked it again because now it's a little less 50-50. Right now, 49.1% would trade a package of Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, and Michael McGreevy first-round draft pick that's a pitcher from last year to acquire Juan Soto. 49.1% say yes, 50.9% say no, 3,631 votes. That's the puke point for some. I said I didn't want to include Dylan Carlson at all. If you could go Gorman, Walker, Wynn, McGreevy, does that get it done? I don't know. I think I'm more inclined to do that. I've talked about why I want to keep Dylan Carlson if I'm the Cardinals, and it's not a knock on Nolan Gorman. And again, we don't even know if the Nationals like Nolan Gorman. That's the thing. 
the fact that we're seeing tweets from national reporters who would be a little plugged in on this to say, yeah, the Cardinals have not yet been willing to do their top prospects and Carlson. They've been maybe doing some offers that include either or. But where does Nolan Gorman fit in either of those categories? Well, he's not Dylan Carlson. <laughs> That's not his name. And he's not a top prospect anymore because he's graduated to the big league level. So we don't know what his involvement could be, and that's why I'm starting to wonder if maybe there isn't any for him. If maybe the Nationals are holding out and saying, hey, Dylan Carlson makes so much sense for us because we can slide him right into the Soto spot and we get two extra years of him, and then you can give us a lot of really good pieces on top of that so that, yeah, we do decline a little bit because Dylan is not the hitter that Soto is, at least not yet, and he's probably not going to be. But he's still a really darn good baseball player, and the Nationals, I think, recognize that. So it seems as though they want to get Carlson, but they also probably want to have their cake and eat it too because they want Jordan Walker because he's a top 10 prospect. And if you're trading a generational player at 23 years old like Juan Soto, you're probably getting that team's top prospect. I think that's the rub right now, that they want Carlson, they want Jordan Walker, and Moe's saying pick one. Pick one, and we're going to give you, we'll offer you Gorman, we'll offer you Mason Wynn in either deal. Like, when, if, if Soto's a Cardinal, Mason wins probably not. That's my guess. Because he's too good of a prospect to ignore unless, unless Mosellock caves, the Nationals get their way, and they do end up with Jordan Walker and Dylan Carlson. Maybe you keep Mason win in that situation and you fill it out with pitching or an Alec Burleson, which if they're getting Carlson, they sure as heck don't need Burleson too. Like, it's very interesting. I think, though, the Nationals over the next, what is it at this point? 15 hours as of this recording until the trade deadline. I think the Nationals are going to be looking for the puke point of John Mozeliak, and they're going to explore every crevice of that puke point to where they can get as much as they possibly can in this trade of Juan Soto. I do think he will be moved before the deadline. I'm going to wrap up this edition of B-Shape Daily by giving you my percentages, my updated percentages on the Juan Soto situation. The Dodgers have come up for me a little bit. I think they're, they're neck and neck with the... San Diego Padres. I'm going to go 30%. I'm going to go 30% for the Padres, 30% for the Dodgers. I'm going to go 35% though for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'll go 5% that he's not moved. And I guess that's probably the nail in my coffin because I'm not allowing any other opportunity for a mystery team to jump in. I don't see it. The Yankees would be the only team with the capital to do it. And they just gave away some players today from their system. Uh, they're already worried about not being able to sign Aaron Judge. I would be surprised if a mystery team hopped in. I think it is overwhelmingly likely at this point that he's dealt. Maybe I should allow for a little bit more possibility, like a 10% chance that he's not dealt. Give me 27.5% Padres, 27.5% Los Angeles Dodgers. Doing some quick math. That still leaves the Cardinals at 35%. I can I can cope with that. That's fine. I do think the Cardinals should be the favorite because they can be. And if he doesn't end up a Cardinal, it's because John Mozeliak said, we cannot afford to watch Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, Mason win, maybe Gorman too. We don't know the inside track of these conversations. But if it's if he's not a, if he's not a Cardinal, it's because Mo said we can't, it's ridiculous. We can't lose all these talented names for three Octobers. Like if it gets into that range where you're giving three of the top four, which I consider to be Carlson, Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, Nolan Gorman. And I, I would put Gorman above Wynn in terms of value. But those are your three of your top four position player, young position player assets in the organization. If they're saying we need three of them, or God forbid four of them, I don't think you're going to trade four of them. But even if they say three, 
I think the Cardinals get into a range where they go, hey, can we talk to this guy? Can we get an extension hammered out? Because otherwise you're risking it just being two and a half years. And before, remember, I was cool with two and a half years of Juan Soto. But that was before that we really were grappling face-to-face with what the price could actually be. And if it's this high, if it's this exorbitant, I almost think, yeah, you better make him a statue. You better make him a statue kind of player by signing him to a lengthy extension. It's not going to come cheap, but I think it's getting to the point where, based on what we're seeing about the size of the offer, I think it needs to be that in order for the Cardinals to be willing and be able to sleep at night about it. That being said, that's just one man's opinion. I'd like to hear yours. At Schaefer 12 on Twitter. Direct message me. Send me tweets. Let me know what you think of this crazy situation. I've been talking with a lot of Cardinals fans on Twitter. I enjoy the heck out of it. You guys have been awesome. Thanks again for Jordan supporting the show as he has. That was really cool of him. If you want to do that, once again, at Schaefer 12 on Twitter. It's a little money symbol next to the follow button, and that'll link to Venmo and Cash App. No obligation to do so. Appreciate you guys who do. And it's just a situation now where we wait. We wait and see what happens, and good news is we don't have to wait very long because 5 p.m. is coming. I'm getting to bed now. I'll wake up, and maybe I'll I'll need to set the alarm early just to make sure I don't miss anything. But uh, Tuesday could be a wild day. We'll wait and see what happens. Appreciate you guys. As always, that's going to do it for this edition of Be Shaped Daily. Make sure to subscribe if you have not done so already. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and we'll talk to you next time. We'll talk to you Tuesday night. Post-trade deadline edition of the show. Come up on Tuesday night for your next Be Shaved Daily. Peace.